When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello everyone, Rob Guest from Football.London here and welcome to the latest episode of Gold and Guests Hot Tottenham, sponsored by NordVPN. Joining me as ever, it's Alistair Gold. Ali, how are you? Good, yeah. I was about to say kind of uh, defrosted from a chilly night at Old Trafford, but actually it's now just cold everywhere. The rest of the country seems to have caught up, so uh, yeah, I'm, I'm still slightly... Uh, trying to thaw out but you know a a positive Tottenham performance to talk about and uh, yeah loads of circumstances around the club as well that we can have a little chat about today. Yes obviously Tottenham in action on Sunday at Old Trafford uh, a 2-2 draw Spurs coming behind twice Richarlison and Rodrigo Bensonker on the score sheet for Tottenham even though Spurs didn't get the three points despite dominating play, an awful lot of praise coming Ange Postacoglu and Spurs' way for that uh, very, very impressive performance. Yeah, and he said afterwards, um, he, he was just incredibly proud of the players because I think this was one of those those games where it shows everything he and his coaches have put into the squad and it was the biggest indicator yet for me. Um, maybe, may, maybe almost the biggest, but that whoever the players are, whoever the names are on the back of the shirt that are put out there, they're still going to play his way. Because, I mean, we looked at that starting lineup, and with a midfield of, you know, Skip, Hoybier, and Benton Kerr, it was like everyone's initial thoughts are, wow, like where's the creativity there? That's a very kind of uh, workmanlike midfield. Obviously, we know that they've all got the ability to play a decent pass, but they're not known for it. Um, well, maybe that's unfair on Benton Kerr, but... Um, yeah, it was like, where's the creativity going to come from? Where are they kind of going to hold on to the ball and really dominate? And they did that. They still did it. And it's just a massive pointer towards the ethos and the mentality that he's got into this team. And you could tell afterwards, he was delighted. It was a draw, but he was delighted with the the result and the performance because he went over to Spurs fans after the game. He was like pumping his fist up at them as well as if, they'd, as if he'd won. Um, he wouldn't have it from anyone that they could have done better. He was just like, no, no, honestly. And it all because of this illness in the week um, that kind of swept through the squad. Um, Dayan Kulisevsky, they they lost um, about uh, not too long. Let's say, let's say not too long before they were kind of going to pick the team in the squad. Um, Skip and Destiny Doggy had both had it in the week as well that had affected their training. He said there was another two or three players that had it. And I do wonder whether, you know, there's a couple of those first teamers who were struggling a little bit still with it. Uh, you could tell in certain moments. Um, and yeah, they, they kind of, I mean, 11 unavailable players. It's just insane. It's like you hear these other clubs talking about the amount of players they're losing and stuff. And, you look at Spurs, you think it's not only 11, but it's so many important key players that would transform the team in a completely different kind of way, different attributes if they were in there. You know, you've lost your captain, your vice captain in Son and Madison. Um, 
obviously just people like Pat Mattis, oh, Basuma, these are key midfielders that have been playing as well. And Lacelso, who's like the, the backup almost, as it were, to Madison. Uh, Kulusevsky, who's like the backup to the backup when it comes to the midfield. Um, obviously, we know he's one of the first choice kind of wingers. But yeah, it was just, they just keep showing adver- um, this kind of real courage and advers- adversity uh, to keep playing his way. And I think for me, this was the biggest showing yet that he's eradicated the fear in that squad. They just don't. They just don't care. They're not scared of any arena, any atmosphere, any team they're facing, or what is required of them. I mean, just a couple of days before, he said they were in the title race. Most Spurs teams, we know what would happen <laughs> the moment after someone had said that. Yeah, collapsed. They didn't. They absolutely didn't. And especially conceding a goal within what was it two minutes and thirty-two seconds. Would they have collapsed? No, they didn't. Um, yeah, I thought there were so many positives. Yes, despite him not wanting to hear it, there was a little bit more that they could have done on the day. Um, but when you take everything into account, it was a terrific dominant performance at Old Trafford, which is not something Spurs do very much. No, because, I mean, I think we've gone to Old Trafford in the past couple of years and thinking Spurs are in a good position here. They could actually, you know, yeah. go on and win, but obviously lost that. Uh, Ronaldo Hattrick, I think he was March 2022, and then lost under Antonio Conte last season. But I thought that was a really, really good performance uh, from Tottenham. Plenty of positives, uh, like you say. Uh, and, you know, at a time when you're looking at the amount of unavailable players going 1 0 down against uh, United following that Hoyland strike after three minutes, things could quite easily have gone the other way. But showed plenty of character and grit, got back into the game and dominated it after that. And yeah, I think if there was going to be one winner from that game, it was Spurs. But I didn't think there was a, a lack of, you know, real clear-cut chances for them potentially after the two goals. Obviously, Christian Romero hit the crossbar. I didn't think there was much he could really do with that, given his position with the player in front of him. I don't think yeah. I could have really headed it down. It was early going one one direction uh Werner had a couple of chances i think the one towards the end of the first half he probably should have done better with when he dragged that wide when he was in a good position just outside the box uh but no all in all when you consider the missing players uh finding themselves uh behind twice in the game as well you know i think you can only take positives from the game and i think they have sent out quite a warning to the rest of the top four that they're dooming business uh, in the uh, rest of the season because when you look at the players who are going to come back into the team Spurs are really going to go from strength to strength and go up another level or two. Yeah, and we haven't even taken into account yet the fact that, you know, in Werner and Van der Ven, you've got two players that haven't even kind of played a match for a month. I think, I'm trying to think, Werner's was November the 4th I think it was, and Van der Ven, November the 6th. I'm trying to remember yeah. what date the Chelsea game was now. Yeah, it was the 6th. Yeah, Romero has been out for three weeks, had a, got a couple of training sessions and chucked straight back in there as well. Um, and like I say, players playing with it, you know, having been ill like um, Skip and Doggy. And yeah, he didn't name the rest, but I do kind of have my suspicions about a couple of players that maybe had been feeling a bit rough in the week. But yeah, it, I agree with you. I don't think you know you can claim that they absolutely peppered Anana's goal with shots. 
Um, I mean, they did have in all 16 attempts at goal, but um, I'm trying to remember how many it was. It wasn't that many on, I've got it here somewhere, six on target. Um, Werner, yeah, I think you're going to, we're going to put it down to rustiness for now. Uh, it was a bit wasteful with some of his efforts, especially that one from Skippy's like lovely kind of cut across pass into his uh, path. Um, and he had a header that Johnson put across to him, which Johnny Evans kind of then flicked past the near post as well. Um, and yes, he hit one very high and wide early on, which had a lot of the... I was surrounded by Man U reporters um, and just the, the noise that they were all emitting was very much like... Timo Werner's back in the Premier League, you can tell. Um, but we'll talk about Timo Werner. And I think I think there was enough positives to show what he's going to be for for Spurs and Postecoglou. Bearing in mind how rusty he clearly was and how low his fitness levels were. But yeah, Vicario, other than the obviously it sounds stupid to say, but other than the two goals, didn't have a single save to make. Um, didn't they were United's only two shots on target? Whereas the stats show that Anana had to make three saves on the. On the night, um, Spurs had sixty-four percent of the possession. You know, to go to Old Trafford and do that, and with with the kind of the lack of numbers they had, it, it's just incredible, really. I mean, just to put it into context, Spurs have only won two of their previous eleven games before that against Man U in the Premier League. It's two. It's like that's how bad the record is. I know technically they haven't still haven't won because they've uh, drawn two-two. But, and they've gone 1-0 down in 25 of their last 32 Premier League games at Old Trafford. It's just like, it's not a place they go and do particularly well at. Yeah, there's the odd statement kind of result, like you say, the 6-1, which that wasn't in front of fans either, was it? Was that, no, I feel like no, I remember that. That was um, one during the pandemic. And yeah, this was the first time they've avoided defeat, having trailed at half-time um, in this fixture since October 2005. It just shows it. It's just like it. What, despite however Man United are doing, there's it's just a fixture that Spurs have struggled in in the past um, on the, on the majority of times, and it's a funny stadium and a funny atmosphere. I would say that. I don't know about you, but I feel like they. It's it's one of those places where they want to be entertained, and if they're not, it's very very quiet. The travelling Spurs fans were brilliant. But it was so many points. Like even when they're after they'd gone one nil up early on, there wasn't like a. And this isn't to really do down Man United fans. It, it could well be that I don't know. Maybe it was a mixture of uh, tourist fans. I don't. I don't know what the makeup is of a game like that um, at Old Trafford. But you would imagine after Spurs going one nil up at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, it would just be this crescendo of noise trying to push them on for another goal. It just was so quiet, and all you could hear was the Spurs fans. What do you make of Old Trafford? You've been there a few times. Uh, yeah, probably similar to what you say. I know it's got its issues. That's well documented, but I still think it's a fantastic you know, stadium and it's one probably you look forward to going to. It's just this grand arena. But yeah, I, I mean, is it one of these where the players should be doing enough on the pitch to get the fans up? Or is it the other way? Should the fans be getting the players up? Yeah, you'd be expecting them once to go on the up, pushing them on for more and more. But it might just be a case of frustration because it's just been such a bad season for them yeah, uh, this year. But rewind 12 months ago, United were going along really, really well. And then in the final few months of the season, just went off the boil and you just seem to have, have uh, 
carried on. And just going back to Spurs' record against them, I, I didn't realise it was so bad. So those two yeah. wins are basically this season and the 6-1. And this is when United have been poor the past few years as well. It's a mental block against them. Or like, you know, you mentioned it earlier, the Ronaldo hat-trick game. Spurs were really good in that game. They played really well. And essentially, Ronaldo bailed United out. He was like just the star player kind of that day. Um, Yeah, just a place, a bit like the Emirates. They just go to and struggle the majority of the time. Very strange. But I think this is going to change now. And Postacoglu, because just the mindset's so positive. I don't think they fear anyone and... To be honest, teams don't like coming up against Spurs now because they know they're going to be in for a game. Relentless pressure over the course of the 90 minutes. And yeah, shame they couldn't get the three points uh, see at Old Trafford on Sunday. But when you take everything into context, I think it's such a good point. And like you said, just so many positives uh, to take, especially with, you know, United didn't really lay a glove on Spurs, did they? Other than the two goals. And yeah. there wasn't much Vicario could have done with them, I don't think. No, no. The first one's a rocket of a finish, isn't it? And the second one's really nice finishing Rashford into the far corner. Um, it was a far corner. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Wasn't it? My brain was so frozen at the time. I remember that. Yeah. yeah, I, I think I said that in my. It was one of those difficult ones when I was doing the player ratings for Vicario because he had no other save to make, and the two goals he couldn't do anything about really. Um, it was quite a difficult one to judge. He did well, kind of with his handling from crosses. I have noticed that about Vicario, and this is definitely the area where it's sad to say it because obviously he's such a long-standing servant to the club. But I do think he's a big upgrade on Hugo Lloris is the handling from crosses. He's so confident and dominant in his box and the defenders around him know he's going to claim that ball. He's not going to kind of punch it or flap at it. He's just going to pretty much 90% of the time, he just catches it rather than trying to punch it. I'm trying to remember if I've actually seen him punch it. I think maybe once or twice. Um, but yeah, just having that. And obviously they also had the security or the confidence of having their main, it was their main defense back, you know, uh, back in business. The, that four and uh, Vicario behind them, and it does it does make a huge difference. I think to their confidence, even rusty versions of themselves. There were moments when Romero and Van der Ven had little bits where you could say, "Oh yeah, they wouldn't normally do that. They wouldn't do that when they were kind of fitter and sharper." But um, I think that was a, one of the key elements as well of a very kind of fast um, Man United attack. You know, I think it was Van der Ven said in his interview they were constantly leaving four players high up the pitch for Spurs to kind of have to worry about on the counter. Um, but it just shows you that when the right pieces are in the puzzle for Spurs at the back, they deal with the counter-attack so well. Um, they've got so much pace there at the back and so much kind of anticipation positioning is really good. And then you've got Vicario able to mop up behind them. It just changes the whole dynamic of the team. And, and look, that's not to do down Emerson Royale or Ben Davies, who were brilliant in filling in in those roles. 
but just seeing the natural players in their natural positions, you can see what Postacoglu's tried to create there. Yeah, I think with Van der Ven, I mean, he just seems like ages and ages ago since he was last in the top of the team. And it's the same with James Madison. It's like months yeah. and months. It feels like, a, life, real- feels like a different season, yeah. doesn't it? Yeah. In reality, it's two months ago, but so much has happened in that uh, time. But yeah, great to see Van der Ven back in the team. I think he did give Spurs a bit of a scare in the first half when he was found guilty of obviously overplaying oh. on the ball uh, outside the area. And full credit to Rodrigo Bensica getting back in and winning the ball. And obviously as well, there was that scare with Van der Ven towards the end when he I went That's what you were going to say. That was scary at the end. And that as well, yeah. And yeah. especially when you're coming back from a hamstring injury, uh, a bad one as well as that, given the way you pulled up against Chelsea and when he went down and signalled, you're thinking, oh, no, not again. But, yeah, uh, luckily it was cramp and managed to walk off the pitch. And, yeah, I think it was just great to see uh, Romero and Van der Ben uh, back alongside each other because it's just been ages and ages. And I think when you're looking at Spurs' lineup, you're probably only missing four players now from it being, like, the strongest possible eleven. <laughs> It sounds I mean, bad, it's, it? it's still a lot, that's what, but I mean, that's what when you, we're so used to 11, aren't yeah, we? Yeah. yeah. But yeah, what did you make of uh, Van der Ven then on his return? Yeah, he was, like I say, well, like you say, he had that kind of ropey moment. Um, he had a few little kind of positioning moments where you thought, okay, he's still kind of rediscovering where he's meant to be and what he's meant to do. But like I said, I think just his pace is such a huge thing for Spurs at the back. He's got this almost ungainly style because I think he's just got these really long legs. They're like kind of like, um, I don't know, like antelope legs. They're just huge kind of thing. But as soon as he sets off, it is the fastest thing I've ever seen a, a human being that size. Kind of the amount of pace he gets in is just, uh, you're very unlikely to get away with him. There are a few times you race down uh, a few of United's attackers, and and it is scary with the whole hamstring thing. You know, obviously having had a hamstring injury in the last two seasons now, um, yeah, you do, you do worry about him. And and yes, I was terrified when he sat on the floor and put his hand up towards the bench. I was like, no. Um, although a terror tempered very slightly by the fact that they now have obviously Radu Dragishin, so they do actually have some cover for a change. Um, but yeah, I thought Van der Ven. He's now going to get this uh, this mini break, this period to kind of up his uh, fitness even more. Yes, he'd had a couple of weeks of training, but uh, I think he needed that near 90 minutes under his belt to really just get his sharpness back as well, mainly. Um, I just love the partnership he and Romero have. I just think it's uh, it's a really nice kind of yin and yang. Yin, 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 yin and yang. <laughs> it's so difficult to say. Um <laughs> They kind of they complement each other really well. Um, one of them, you know, the uh, the aggressive front foot kind of leader type, uh, and the other one more the uh, kind of pacey and the guy that anticipates more. It's a little bit more of the Ledley King about Mickey Van der Ven. He waits for the exact moment to to go to ground. He doesn't really like to go into. No, he doesn't like to go into shed, but he doesn't like to needlessly throw himself into a challenge. Um, and they just complement each other really, really well. And I'm fascinated to see how Dragushin fits into that. 
Um, we kind of had a spell towards the end of the game where they seem to be playing with a back three, which is quite interesting. And whether that's something he does go for, not something he's really known for, Postacoglu, but to have that ability now to change mid-game, I think is going to be a big thing for him. Um, yeah, no, I, I thought uh, Van der Ven was good. What did you think of Romero on his return? Yeah, uh, I thought he did okay. Uh, I mean, for the first goal, looking back on it, it just looks like he pauses ever so slightly and that allows Hoyland to you know get half a yard on him and fire it into uh the uh top corner but I mean other than that no I thought it was uh it was a really really you know good show and you know what you're going to get from Romero going to be aggressive at times but he's such a good defender and I think it's just for Tottenham such a positive to have him back especially alongside Van der Ven now uh but yeah no I thought it was uh, a good good showing from him question I've been asked on Twitter, I'll put it to you. What do you make of the fact that it's mainly him and Porro? They'll often go into challenges or try to marshal players with this kind of holding their hands behind their back thing to, to ensure that they're not going to give away a handball or a penalty. Does that... That's the question I've been asked, so I'm going to put it to you and absolutely kind of dodge, the, dodge it myself. Um, is that affecting their ability to properly make their challenge or to properly make their block because they're concentrating so hard on kind of this odd body shape and having their arms behind their back? I've no idea. I don't know if it impacts it or what, uh, but quite a few do that. And I mean, you can understand why in the current climate with VAR, because any such yeah. ball on your hand potentially be given. Uh, no. I don't know. <laughs> it's a stranger. I mean, Romero was done for it at the Emirates, wasn't he? Obviously for a handball and a, a penalty then. Yeah. I just, I, I kind of see what people are saying. That I looked at his body shape for the um, the Hoyland goal early on. And he's not, it's almost like he's leaning backwards. He's so desperately trying to not get an arm in the way of any potential shot that he's almost saying to him, yeah, go on, have, have a go, have a crack. I, I'm not going to get in the way of it kind of thing. He's a bit... It's it's one of those where I'm sure if we asked Ange, he'd probably just absolutely shoot it down and go, what are you talking about? It makes no difference whatsoever. Um, but I just thought I'd put it to you because it was something that had come up on social media. And obviously, everything on social media is well worth talking about. Um, yeah, I, I thought Romero was, was rusty to begin with. I thought there was definitely that moment for the first goal where he was a little bit uh, hesitant. And then the second goal, I actually felt he came across when he didn't really need to. He came right across to Porro, almost like not trusting that Porro could deal with it. And that actually left Hoyland behind him to play the one-two back to Rashford. Um, and then Porro was a little bit unfortunate with the way he kind of almost stopped it, but didn't. Uh, and Rashford got through. But then after that, Romero was excellent for me. He um, There are a few one of those moments where he uh, just put his foot in at the perfect time. Um, and there was one that a few people noticed that uh, he uh, he kind of went into a, a, a tackle where the studs were starting to show, and he actually at the last minute planted his foot suddenly down as if like yeah, yeah I better not do that again. <laughs> Especially as yeah, there's competition now. He can't afford to get suspended again because um, he'll miss obviously a lot of games. But uh, no, I thought he did well. And actually, I just remembered on Van der Ven there was one moment where he was going absolutely mad at, I can't remember if it was Bentacor or another midfielder, someone who wasn't tracking back, and Bentacor kind of had to go to him and go, just calm, 
calm down. It's okay, kind of thing, which is very unusual for Van der Ven. We don't really see him as the ranter type, but he was really having a go. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's just good to see the two of them back together on the pitch because they're a huge part of everything Spurs are trying to do. Very much so. Uh, also good to see Rodrigo Benzica uh, back on the pitch. Obviously, made his comeback the final game of 2023 against Bournemouth. Obviously, a tad rusty in those Bournemouth and Burnley games, but that's totally understandable given uh, his injury situation over the course of 2023. But, you know, this performance against Manchester United on Sunday was by far uh, his best performance in a Spurs shirt, I think, since he's uh, made his return. Uh, instrumental figure on the pitch, deservedly got a goal uh, to his name and what a finish as well, uh, linking up with Timo Werner, uh, taking a touch uh, to the side of Johnny Evans and then just getting a bit of height on it, uh, which I think probably uh, Onana wasn't expecting yet. I think you're probably in that position, you're probably thinking the play's going to shoot low, but no, a uh, bit of height, bit of power and found the uh, corner of the net. It's just some player, Rodrigo Benson Kerr, and you know, Ange was waxing lyrical about him after the game. It was on about having returned from two injuries uh, to deliver a performance like that. You know, shows his character and the fact that Benson Kerr's not even at uh, the levels he wants to be yet in terms of his fitness, in terms of his performance. But when he gets there, he's going to be such a fantastic asset for Tottenham. And I think that just bodes incredibly well for Spurs uh, in the final few months of the season because as good as Benteke was at Old Trafford, you know, we probably haven't even seen the best of him yet. There's so much more still to come from him. And I think as good as he was under Conte uh, at the club, I think Ange can extract even more out of him. Really, really yeah. do it. Uh, well, as Anne said after the game, he shouldn't even be playing right now. Ventica, <laughs> his initial kind of diagnosis for the date he was meant to return is is next month. He sh absolutely should not be playing right now. Um, and it was really nice. He kind of, I'll read the quotes. He he came. He said he came to me a couple of weeks ago and said, "Look, I want to help. I need to play. I need to help these guys." He could see we were going through a rough time. And it's a testament to his character. He's an outstanding person. Um, just it's just mad how that's happened. He just obviously felt he'd healed enough, and presumably, you know, the the medical staff has said, yeah, he's not going to make it any worse now. He just might be in a little bit. Maybe he's in pain. I don't know. Uh, but he's at the stage where he can play as long as he's okay. And he is getting sharper and fitter with each game. You can see it. This was the best yet, I think, since he's uh, returned. And did you feel like that goal? Did you feel it kind of took you back to the pre-cruciate ligament matches when he was absolutely popping up with these important moments? Very much so, because, I mean, I think it was last season he got six goals to his name, big ones as well, you know, the last-minute mm. winner against Bournemouth, against Sporting CP in the Champions League. I think he scored against Everton, did he, at home as well, he might have. I'm surprised you wouldn't remember that. <laughs> that actually, that might have been Hoybjerg. Yeah, I think I'm wrong there. I think it was high. So how many, but... many people have scored against Everton? It's difficult. Yeah, to yeah. <laughs> but no, he, he was popping up with, you know, important goals, important assists as well. But yeah, he, uh, he's, he's some player. And like I said, there's just even more to come from him. What's Will great you... for Tottenham? Another question for you. Is he going to be Spurs number six or number eight? 
this is the thing. This is the good thing about him. He's versatile, isn't he? Uh, depends what Ange wants to do. You know, maybe wants Basuma in the number six role. Does he keep Benton Kerr there? There's so many midfield options. There's so many, you know, different ways Ange could decide to line up uh, with his midfield once everyone returns. Uh, maybe is it a case of just playing at number six for now whilst he, you know, gets back to his levels and then do you push him forward into the number eight? Because, you know, he can influence things in the final third, can score as well. It's a good headache to have for Ange, it really is. Yeah, he was kind of rotating at times with Hoybier in that number six role on, on Sunday night. They started the game, we could see quite clearly the way they, they lined up was was Bentenker in the anchorman role. Um, but yeah, there were points in the game. I think Hoybier's natural inclination to come back kind of means that he's a, a sometimes going to be in that number six role. Yeah, in terms of where he ends up playing, like you say, it, it can be anywhere at any time uh, in that midfield. I think Postacoglu kind of let slip, didn't he, uh, when he got that ankle injury that it ruined his plans to play Basuma and Bentacur together. So presumably that's what we'll see eventually at some point. But it, it just, I mean, we're going to talk about the various options and, and what Spurs starting eleven could look like if we ever get a scenario where everyone's fit. But there's a lot of competition there. There's a lot of players who might consider themselves that they should be starting and, and, and main star players. There's suddenly people pushing them for their spots all over the place. And that's the beauty of the versatility that he has in his squad as well. I mean, you know, we spoke about it with the defence. Dragashin naturally pushes Van der Ven and Romero. If they have a little bad period, easily Dragashin comes in on either side because he can play on the left, he can play on the right. He's got no issues kind of what side of that defence he plays in. And in midfield, you know, Basuma, Sahar, Madison, Lacelso, um, Bentenko, Hoybier, Skip. It's just ridiculous. And Kulusevski can play in there as well. Um, it's just crazy the amount of options they got, which is why when you kind of, especially with the number six role, when you see them linked with other number sixes, you're like, whoa, <laughs> really? <laughs> Have you looked at the Spurs squad? Um, but yeah, I thought Benton Kerr was just, was superb. And it was such a kind of sucker punch time to score as well. Just after the, you know, United probably went into that second half thinking, okay, lads, here we go. Let's get another one. And it just immediately pinned them back. Um, and yeah, I did feel like it was the old kind of match, not match winning in this case, but the game turning uh, version of Benton Kerr we've seen. And another one who can use this couple of weeks kind of wisely, I think, to uh, to get himself recovered and rested, obviously, but also putting a lot of work on the training pitch around that in terms of um, just upping those fitness and uh, sharpness. Yeah, I thought all the midfielders uh, were great at Old Trafford. I didn't need to praise Oliver Skip as well. I think this was probably his best performance of the season in, you know, not a natural position for him. Operating as a number eight, he's a number six. And we've only seen bits of him uh, in that position so far this season. We've managed tending to use him off the bench as a number eight and to get forward. But no, I thought it was really, really good uh, with the ball. I mean, that pass to Timo Werner was absolutely incredible. Very similar to, uh, I don't know if you remember, David Silva played the pass like that when City won 6-1 at Old Trafford. for Dzeko's goal, just like a nice low daisy cutter. Yeah, really, really good pass. Then I think it was involved in the second one as well. What actually started from 
really good ball from Romero, what dissected yeah. the United midfield. Skip then played it to uh, Werner and Benzke did the rest. Uh, yeah, I think this is a time when you need Oliver Skip to be standing up and, you know, making his case because there's so many options in midfield. And let's be honest, when it comes to naming Tottenham's strongest midfield, he's not going to be in there. But he's still a good option to have off the bench and bring him into the team when uh, he needs to come in. Uh, but now I thought it was a really, really good performance from him and I think he probably made his case for a start against Man City. And he'd been ill. <laughs> it's just yeah, crazy. Yeah. You know, you've got to also kind of that just knocks it even further up in my estimation. Um, it was a strange role for him, to be honest. It's almost like Postacoglu just told him, just go out there and cause chaos run at them at the top. He he often was leading the press at the top of the pitch. And they were just saying, just go up there, harass them, annoy them, be like that buzzing fly in their ear, just constantly kind of cause them problems. And it worked. He really unsettled their passing game. And it was quite funny. I saw his on the on the team sheet when I looked to begin with that Christian Eriksen was starting in midfield. And this is no lie. And I, the same with the guy that reports on one of the Man U beat reporters next to me. When Christian Eriksen came off, I actually said, oh, I forgot he was playing. I genuinely forgot Ericsson was playing because he just... It, we've we've been used to, kind of in previous years, seeing Ericsson kind of run games for Spurs when he was in his kind of pomp. He just seemed to barely be involved in the match. He was like a bystander at times. And I think a lot of the issue was that he had Skip kind of buzzing around there and just causing all kinds of problems. And because and, Ericsson obviously was... It was Fernandez was kind of the, the tip of their midfield and Eriksson was a little bit more withdrawn. And yeah, I thought Skippy played so well. Incredible energy levels for someone that's been ill, especially, you know, played, I think it's about 84, 87 minutes. It was a, a long period of the game. Um, and yeah, that pass was beautiful. It was one of those where, yeah, David Silver or De Bruyne does it and everyone raves about it afterwards. Um, it's just such a shame that Werner kind of messed up the end product because it would have been a brilliant assist. Um, and yes, he did play it to Werner in, for the goal. Probably slightly put it to his left, but actually that ended up being perfect because he turned and saw Bentenker running in and steaming in and pointing at where he wanted the ball. Um, yeah, it just did really well, Skippy. It was, um, yeah, you, you absolutely summed it up perfectly. He comes in and he does what is asked of him and what they need. Um, he's not going to probably ever be the most fashionable player. He's not going to be the headline maker in the team. Um, he does have his critics this season. It's There's this kind of, I don't want to go into it too much because I kind of moaned previously about it, but for some reason, every season there's a couple of scapegoats and they're the ones that get it. And for this season, for some reason, it almost feels like they've picked a couple of really young players. It feels like it's mainly Skippy and um, Brennan Johnson are getting it at the moment. And it's just... I don't know. Maybe because you know you and I do a lot of stuff on, on the academy and covering the young players and knowing how much like development goes into these players and how much they still have to learn. I just feel it's such a shame when people write them off so quickly when they're so young. And like some of the questions about Skip is that he doesn't have any technique. Sorry, did you see that part? The technique involved in that pass to Werner is that just premium kind of technique. And and obviously I've seen so much of him in the academy before he even got into the first team. And he's got terrific technique. I think with Skippy, the key is for him, he's got to play in his natural position. That's it. It's quite simple. He can do you a job like he did on Sunday, 
But if you put him in that number six role, and the question obviously remains, is he ever going to really get a chance in that with the other players available in that role? Um, I think he'll be superb. You know, he went to Norwich and had that amazing season on loan, which really kind of made his name to begin with. Um, but I just, yeah, I feel like criticism for a match and a performance is absolutely fine. There's nothing wrong with that at all. And people are quite entitled to, to criticise a performance. But when it becomes this thing of a constant, oh, they're not good enough, they're rubbish, why they're at this club, what is it? And it's just, oh, it's so draining. And you just kind of think, these guys aren't 28, 29 in their 30s. You know, 22, 23 years old. Um, and there's so much more for them to learn and evolve as a player and do. Um, and I just, yeah, Skippy was excellent. I thought Hoybier was pretty good. I, I wouldn't say I thought he was great. I thought he um, he gave the ball away a few times, but his work rate, as always, was superb. Um, and what he did a lot better, I felt, albeit with the odd misplaced pass, was that when he did come back, and we've spoken about this previously, sometimes he's not quite as confident as Benton Curry is at receiving the ball from the defence and playing it first time out to the flanks. He sometimes shies away a little bit from that ball, and it's that moment of hesitation that allows the press to work for the opposition. Whereas, oh my goodness, the amount of times on Sunday that Man U just didn't know what to do because either the ball was spun out to the flanks and they were around the press, or the midfielder would suddenly spin and get away from him. Hoybier did it. Skip did it a few times. Actually, I think Skip did it for that pass, didn't he, to Werner? I think that was one where he turned with the ball. And, of course, Bentoncourt does it constantly. It's like the old Moussa Dembele trick, the little uh, pirouette that they do. Um, and it just gives them the options because the player doesn't know, are they going to spin it out wide or are they going to turn me if I try to block the pass? Um, and Hoybier definitely did that a lot better, I felt, on Sunday. And it's one of those where... I'm going to put this question to you. Do you let him leave in January? I've asked you this probably months ago, but I think with the current speculation, I'm going to repeat it. Do you let him go? I, I wouldn't let him go. No. no I don't uh, think you would. No, I've said it numerous times. Yeah, when you look at his contract status, this month is the ideal time to let him go because you'll get a bigger transfer fee than you will in the summer when he's down to his final 12 months. But if he can spur, help Spurs finish in the Champions League, how much are you earning then? So for me, it just makes sense to keep him unless obviously there's the opportunity there for a permanent move away and you can sign Conor Gallagher from Chelsea. But if you can't, I'd keep Hoybeg till the end of the season because we've seen it time and time this season, how influential he has been for Spurs off the bench in games. The Luton one, particularly when they went down to uh, 10 men uh, following Basuma's red card at Kenilworth Road, helped Spurs, you know, nullify Luton and manage to get a win. We've seen it loads of times off the bench. That's probably his best role under Ange, just coming on, helping see out games. He did that against Manchester United and Bournemouth in August. Uh, he's done it countless times. So for me, I'd keep him. Yeah, I think he's another Perisic for Ange. I think Perisic, had he remained fit, we'd have seen him constantly used in matches throughout the season, whether it be starting or mostly from the bench. Just that experienced head when they need it to kind of put in the vital little moments and touches and know-how of what to do in certain scenarios. Um, and yeah, I'm exactly on the same page. I think if they get a really good offer comes in for him and they have a plan to replace him with someone else, fair enough. Because I do think... 
come February, if they've got everyone fit, and that's the best case scenario, then yes, his game time is going to be severely limited, I think. But I think if you're not going to get the right offer for him, uh, and like you say, get a, a deal for someone like Gallagher lined up, he could just be so important as the games come thick and fast, as the as the kind of the season goes on. Um, yeah, I've never, well, neither of us have ever been on the Hoybier hate train. I think we've always kind of seen what he can bring to the team. Um, do I think he's a guy that I would start week in, week out now? Probably not in the Postacoglu system, but I do think he's got a part to play. Um, and I don't know if the drop in value from 18 months to 12 months will probably be too much in the price tag. It will be a little bit, of course, but I don't think it will be quite the drop-off you'll get going from 12 months to six months, let's say. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think they'll still get a decent deal from him in the summer. Um, and I do think that number eight that they you know would like to still bring in will be very much dependent on Hoybier. And uh, yeah, we'll see what happens with him. He doesn't look like he's kicking up a fuss. He doesn't look like he's sulking in any games. He's still giving absolutely everything he can to the cause. Um, and I think that's a measure of the person, really. Yeah, I mean, in terms of the transfer window, it has been incredibly quiet in the Premier League so far. I didn't yeah. saw it the other day. It's only been like five or six transfer incomings, something and like Spurs that. Has it, done almost half of them. Yeah, it's just been so so quiet. And what we got another sixteen days till the window closes. Things will pick up, obviously, in the last couple of week, couple of weeks of, of the window. But yeah, for me, you just keep Oybieg. That that's just a no brainer. I guess most clubs probably can't spend money at the moment either, you know. These getting docked points here, there and everywhere for overspending. Yeah. Right, we'll uh, quickly move on. <laughs> Ali, do you want to let everyone know about the benefits of using NordVPN? Of course. If you're not aware by now, the Golden Guest Talk Tottenham podcast is sponsored by NordVPN and you can use the service in a host of different ways to enhance your internet experience. NordVPN is the fastest VPN in the world, and that means there's no buffering, no lagging, and you can stream your favorite shows from anywhere in the world without your bandwidth throttling. Something I've used many, many, many years, as people always kind of hear me extol the virtues of NordVPN. I used it way before they came on board as a sponsor of the podcast, whether it be to watch movies and TV shows abroad that otherwise I couldn't just by setting my device to thinking it's back in the UK, or whether it's to kind of watch things from other countries, um, or just even to make your device that little bit safer if you're using a, a public Wi-Fi um, when you're out and about. Uh, and not only that, but the Outland and NordVPN subscription is cheaper for you in the long run. And that's because you can purchase streaming services or bookings from other countries at a much cheaper rate. So, for example, you might be able to book a flight from another country and it could be cheaper than booking it as if you're in the UK. So it means you're paying out for Nord, but you're actually saving money overall. There's a whole host of other benefits from signing up to NordVPN, so why not give it a go? You can grab your exclusive NordVPN deal by going to nordvpn.com forward slash goldguest to get a huge discount off your NordVPN plan plus four additional months for free. It's completely risk-free with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. Right. Let's discuss Brennan Johnson and his performance at Old Trafford because you touched upon it earlier. He's becoming a bit of a scapegoat, it's fair to say, for fans uh joined from nottingham forest in the summer and it's fair to say we've not really seen the best of him so far there's still so much more to come from the wales international i was a bit disappointed with his performance at old trafford i just didn't yeah. he can offer more uh with aaron wan on his side 
who's not a natural left back. I think there was an opportunity there to run at him. Although I think it must be said in terms of Wambasaki's excellent in terms of recovery tackles. He just seems to have these yeah. awfully long legs and you know can win the ball back. But Johnson, even with his crossing, I was disappointed. He just didn't always seem to hit the target. There was one, especially in the first half, when Richarlison was in a good position. And it was very similar to like the goal against Everton and Bournemouth. All he needed was a low cross towards a near person. There was probably a good chance Richarlison would have, you know, been there to maybe convert it. But he just got the cross all wrong. There was height on it. It was nowhere near Richarlison. And yeah, he's just a bit disappointing for me from Johnson because he's in a position now when you get all these midfielders back and then Kuliseski returns to fitness. It's a good chance he's probably not going to be in the team now with Werner on the left, Sonny as well. There's a lot of options there and I just think he needs to be doing a bit more for himself at the moment. Yeah, I think that was one of his weaker performances, yeah. definitely. Um, he still works hard. You can see his fitness means that he's getting in a lot more defending and tracking back and, and you know, getting tackles and interceptions. He kind of got a few of those on the day. But my issue with him at the moment um, is he looks like he's scared of really flying at defenders. And that's 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 the thing that I would... Uh, I'm not too worried about the rest of his game. I think he's got the technique to be absolutely fine. We've seen it. I mean, he's got, what, four assists so far on a goal yeah. in about, is it 14 appearances? Which, you know, for your first kind of season at a bigger level, um, playing in these big games for Spurs, it, I've got no real issues with that. My issue more is the, the confidence and maybe fear about his hamstring that he might have. Uh, there was times on Sunday when, he, yeah, like you say, Wan-Bissaka out of position, playing on an unnatural kind of role for him where he could have flown at him. He could have really, he's got the pace. I mean, you know, when people say like, oh, he's not good enough. I, I just, I make you look at Carl Walker, you know, when he, when he absolutely roasted Carl Walker, put in a cross into the middle for uh, Kulusevski to score at uh, the Etihad. Um, or those moments when he's set up Richarlison, you know, getting there and hitting those superb first-time balls. And even on Sunday, hit a lovely cross to... Um, Werner at the back post, Werner headed and, and was then knocked wide by Johnny Evans. But yeah, it's that physical side for me. Um, I want to see him really um, fly at the defender, uh, really kind of get his legs moving. And whether there is still that little bit of fear because of um, that injury that was it about a month it took him out after he just joined, yeah. not too long after. There could be that. Um, we know hamstrings and Postacoglu do kind of go together a little bit in those early like six to nine months of his times at clubs as everyone adapts. Um, but yeah, you're, you're spot on. I think, I hope that the competition will will drive him. He's going to have to be better than that. Um, it will. Um, Werner and Kulusevski are you know, two huge kind of rivals for the both sides of the pitch. I prefer him normally on the right, I think, uh, personally, Brennan Johnson. So, yeah, it'll be Kulisevsky, maybe more so he's got to compete against. But then you've got Sonny as well. <laughs> Can't even forget that, like, the the world-class player, probably the best player on the pitch, uh, Sonny, has still got to come back as well. And that's the great thing. They're all going to have to fight for their spots. Um, but, yeah, with Johnson, I do think it's a confidence thing. I don't buy into this strange narrative that's already turned up after 14 games or whatever it is that he's not good enough and it was a waste of money. I mean, that's just 
that's a scary indictment, I think, of some elements of football fandom now. It's like you write off a 22-year-old after 14 matches. God, can you imagine if they did that with Gareth Bale when he went through that run where he didn't win a game with Spurs? Or if they did it with so many other young players. Um, Sonny as I well. Mean, he didn't have the best of starts, Sonny. did he? Top yeah, Sonny's a great shout. You know, he wanted to leave after that first season. Yeah. Uh, Pochettino had to convince him otherwise. Um, just anyone, and sometimes there's players with with injuries. I remember like Steven Gerrard used to get a lot of back problems, didn't he, early on at Liverpool? You know, if he got written off or... Yeah, there's so many examples of players that have just taken a little bit of time to adapt. I think people maybe think that it's only foreign players that need to adapt. It doesn't work like that. Every manager will tell you that. The step up is a thing. You know, it's not just it's the Premier League. It's He's gone from Forest where there's different expectations, a completely different system, um, and he's coming into a team where, yeah, every single thing he's doing is being scrutinised, and it just takes a bit of time to adapt. But for me, the biggest indicator is Ange Postecoglou is incredibly excited about what Brennan Johnson can be in his team. Um, and that, for me, is is your main indicator, because so far, let's be honest, he hasn't got one wrong at all in his transfer, kind of who he's wanted and what players he's brought in. Postecoglou, he's been... Uh, yeah, he's been spot on pretty much. So even Ashley Phillips, uh, kind of Ashley Phillips was the one you could say, well, we don't really know. But then, you know, he's gone out to Plymouth Argyle and an absolutely incredible debut. He's like, man of the match, been superb. So yeah, I'd, I'd, uh, if you're going to trust Postacoglu, and, and there's this funny kind of par- um, paradox, isn't there? As people say, back the manager, get, spend the money. So Spurs back the, man, uh, the manager, spend almost 50 million on Brennan Johnson. And it's like, no, not on him. It's like, no, it doesn't work like that. The manager is desperate to get in a player and wants the club to spend big money. And they do that for him. And he was genuinely, I remember, because I asked the question in the first press conference. Um, I can't remember what the game would have been now. It after was Burnley. The win, the, was it Burnley? It was Burnley. After yes, the win, yeah. Burnley. Yeah. So I kind of, I asked him like, you know, you must be, you know, you're delighted to get your man. And he spoke so excitedly for, for Poster Cogger to actually get that much emotion out of him was, was incredible. And uh, so, yeah, I, I think if you either back the manager has to be yourselves as well, you know, the fans have to also back his judgment on a player. And uh, yeah, of course you can criticize certain performances. Why not? Um, and especially as he wasn't that good. But to kind of write him off already after just a few months at the club is just its just so premature. It's incredible. Yeah, he's tailor-made for Ange's system. He's just yeah. getting the best out of him and Ange will eventually, just hopefully sooner rather than later. On the opposite side, I thought Timo Werner's debut was positive, certainly. Obviously getting assist to his name for Rodrigo Benton, curse strike just after half-time. But the thing is with Werner, the problem is given his struggles at Chelsea and his failure, you know, to be on the score sheet on a regular basis, any missed opportunities, they're just going to be, you know, at the forefront of people's thinking. That's what people will mention. And there were a couple of, you know, not very good shots, especially that first one where he cut inside on the right. I think he had Benton Kerr to his right. He maybe could have passed it to... uh, but he went for goal and that was just like so high and wide. It wasn't, it wasn't a good attempt. But yeah. the one after when Skippy played him through and I think it was Dallow, uh, he was running that, you know, he maybe could have gone into the area a bit more given his pace. Uh, 
but I mean, that wasn't the best of attempts that was dragged wide. But I think you've just got to realise he's barely played over the past couple of months. So he's certainly gone to be rusty. It's the same with Bentica coming back from obviously those injuries. You know, he's not going to be match fit. He's not going to be at his true match sharpness. Uh, it's a case of just giving him the minutes. But I think from what I saw, the movement, the link-up play, uh, the assist as well, positives more than outweighed any negatives from Werner at Old Trafford. Yeah, I think very similar to Johnson in that you can see how both of them fit in the system, how they will flourish in it. But for both of them, I think it's a case of learning to make the right decisions within that setup and that system. And I think that is the good thing about the Postacogra system is that once you've got it into your brain and ingrained exactly what he wants, it will just become instinct. They'll know that they've either got to get to that byline or, or to the kind of halfway in the penalty area down the sides and cut it across low, or they cut inside themselves and get into the box. And, and for the other, uh, when the other, uh, there are, what do you call it, a counterpart on the other side is doing similar. So, yeah, I thought it was overall positive. Uh, absolutely, the shooting was a bit wild. Um, I think it was five shots all off target. Um, he did have that header that I couldn't tell whether it was going just wide and Johnny Evans helped it on its way wide or whether it was on target. We had a very iffy monitor in front of us for replays with a wire kept falling out the back <laughs> this is another area of old traffic that maybe needs a little bit of a redevelop um he complains about his free press seat in the uh media which sounds ridiculous um yeah i thought bit again a bit like johnson i would have liked to have seen him kind of really open up his legs and run at people that little bit more knowing the pace that he's got i think that will come with the fitness um he didn't help out Udogi as much as he would when he's fitter, Werner. Um, that's definitely going to come as well. Udogi had a lot of work to do behind him, uh, which is why we probably saw a little bit less of Udogi as an attacking presence because he had to deal with that. Um, but obviously he got that assist, which is a very well-weighted ball. It was perfect. Bentico was telling him exactly what to do. He was pointing furiously at the right and like, now, and it was perfect. But that gives him something tangible. It kind of any confidence issues he might have had after the game would have pretty much been erased because he came away on his debut with an assist and a good one at that. He's quite a funny character. Watching the interviews with him, he's got this uh, kind of funny way of speaking, quite a little bit of a dry humour. Seems very... Seems like comes Obviously, I'm, I'm judging. I haven't interviewed him yet, so I'm judging this on behind-the-scenes videos and things like that. But, you know, just even little things like watching him go into Dragasin while he's having his medical and having a little chat with him and just comes across as a good guy. And I think it's that kind of character that Postacoglu looks for. Um, and the fact that he, uh, Postacoglu said afterwards, he made himself very much available for the game. It was like, yeah, you've only had like a couple of training sessions. But he was like, no, 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 no. If you want me out there, I'll do a job for you. Uh, and he lasted about, was about 74 minutes, 79 minutes, something like that. It was in the 70s. He played a fair old whack of the game. Um, the only thing I would say, <laughs> I did feel um, a little sorry for a certain Spaniard um, in Postacoglu's little bit in the press conference. He said, I had no option but to start him. You can just kind of imagine Brian Hill in the background going, hello, hello, <laughs> I exist, I exist in yours. Um, yeah, I, I did feel a little bit sorry for him. But he actually was quite bright when he came on, used the ball really well. But uh, with Werner, yeah, he's going to be, Another very exciting um, 
kind of product, I think, of the Postecoglou system. We know what he's done before. We know it didn't go ideally at Chelsea, of course not. Uh, but yeah, still had a reasonable goals and assists record and helped them win the Champions League. I think experience-wise, he's going to bring that to Spurs. You know, 27 years old. He's not one of the younger players. He's a guy that's going to come in as a winner. Um, and I felt his quotes after the game as well. He very much seemed like he was looking long-term. It didn't sound like a man who's just hoping to get his loan done and maybe go back to Leipzig. He kept talking about, I'm hoping to do this many, many, many more games for Spurs. He kept using that expression. Um, and hopefully that works out for him because he brings something a little bit different on that left um, in terms of the way he plays. Um, and yeah, the options now. When it, I guess I was going to say when, if everyone's fit, are just ridiculous. You know, with him and Sonny down the left, uh, Brian Hill there as well, if he remains here at the end of the window. Um, Johnson and Kulusevski down the right as well. Um, obviously, Richardson through the centre, who can also play in either of those kind of wide roles. Yeah, there's a there's a lot of options. And Manor Solomon as well. Forget yeah. about Manor Solomon, who's on his way back soon as well. Um, and he can play pretty much on either side. So, yeah, it's it's the dream scenario that, you know, Spurs don't have so many injury problems because suddenly you could almost argue they go from having the most injury-hit weakest squad in the Premier League to maybe having one of the strongest squads in it. Yeah, very much so. I think Werner, for me, I think it's a good signing, but Ange can make him into a very good signing uh, yeah. for Spurs. And I just think when you're looking at these injured players who are out at the moment, those on international commitments as well. When you get all these back, the new signings bed in. Things look really rosy for Spurs in the final few months of the season, but it's just one of these where, you, fingers crossed, everyone will be fit and available at the same time. But given how this season panned out at the moment, that might not be the case. Then someone else we need to obviously give a bit of praise to is Richarlison. I can That's see you shot. laughing. <laughs> it, no, it, he, was, he was excellent. He was so good. Yeah, I thought that was probably one of his best performances in the yeah. Tottenham shirt. And that was at both ends of the pitch. I thought his defensive work was incredible. Uh, I think it was it Ericsson. He tackled on the edge of the, his own box. It was. I think, yeah, yeah well, he worked his way back. Uh, I thought his hold-up play were really, really good. Just his ability yeah. to win the free kicks as well. And the header, really good header. Such a crowded little uh, area in the box that was. There was about six or eight bodies maybe there and rose high uh, to knock it in at the far post. That's what, six goals, six games at the moment. And at a time when Spurs' main man is away at the Asian Cup, you need uh, your place to stand up and be counted. And I think he's done that again. Uh, you just want this purple patch to carry on for him. Yeah, that was what Sonny asked, didn't he, of Richarlison? He said, yeah. like, when I'm going away, you've got to score the goals. And and other than Burnley and the FA Cup, which I did feel was one of his kind of worst games of the season, this, like you say, was one of his best. Um, he just was always there as the focal point. He held the ball up well most of the time. Um, as you say, defensively, two tackles, one clearance, did his work at the other end of the pitch. And his link-up play was just superb. And the header, it was reminded me of the kind of headers that Alderweireld and Dyer would score from corners. That beautiful kind of glancing flick into the far corner. Um, 
another Poro assist. That's crazy. I think he's got seven assists, Poro, now, which is only he and Trippier. I think they've got the most across all of Europe's top five leagues, I think, for... Um, I presume it was for a right-back. I've got I've probably got the stat somewhere among my notes. But, uh, yeah, for any defender. Joint most of any defender across the top uh, five European leagues. But Richarlison, yeah, six goals in six Premier League games, um, which I think is... I've got another stat for him as well here, which is I feel like that was the, as many as he got in his previous 47 matches, I think. Yeah, it was. He got, yeah, as many as he scored in his previous 47 combined appearances before that, and he's got six and six. It's brilliant. That's what you want. Um, you know, he needs to become a more prolific player if he's going to play through the middle, and that looks like he's starting to understand the system and what's required of him and where to be anticipation-wise um, as a striker. Um, yeah, honestly, I don't think anyone could have been happier with him, um, any happier with him than they were on Sunday did everything asked of him. And uh, yeah, you know, that spot in the centre is his to hold on to for the rest of the season, really. With with Sonny kind of excelling on the left, there's no need to put him back into the centre if Richardson's doing everything that he is. Obviously, yeah, you're going to need to rotate him at times and, and hopefully no more injury issues for him. But uh, this was a, a really encouraging, promising performance. And uh, yeah, I think he no one scored more than him since the start of December in the Premier League. Six goals. I think it's Solanke's got the same. Yeah, and I think he's scored more than any Arsenal player as well now. I think that was one of the <laughs> stats going around as well. Yeah, they, did see that. Yes. they were taking the mickey out of Spurs last season, given his struggles in front of goal. But I think his Spurs career now is finally up and running. And I think that's probably down to the surgery as well, what he had at the start yeah. of November. He just looks freer, looks more like his old self, and the goals are flowing. So, you know, fair play to him. Uh, right, you were at Andrew's press conference on Friday, and one of the notable things he said was Spurs are in the title challenge. Yeah. Agree? Uh, well, yes. <laughs> <laughs> to, to a degree, they're in the race. I mean... Um, Liverpool didn't play, so are they five points off the top now? Five off the top, yeah. having played one game more. Yeah. yeah, so five points off the top. You know, you're only one behind uh, Arsenal, who are considered title challengers. Of course, they've got... No, actually, sorry, same points now, aren't they? Same yeah. points, but behind on goal difference. Obviously, they've got a game in hand. Um, yeah, I agree with what he said. I think you're if you're that close then by the definition of it, you're in there. Why not? Um, and until or if you drop out of that, then yeah, you are in the title race. Do I think Spurs are going to win the Premier League this season? Maybe not. I think I've got this feeling I think Man City are going to start putting a run together now. They've got De Bruyne back and Haaland on his way back as well. Um, yeah, I, I still think they're going to just maybe be too strong. But what I do think Spurs will profit from is you know these teams that have European football as the kind of the latter stages arrives. Obviously, Spurs have got a real kind of flood of games, including it, isn't it? A little week from hell, I think they've got uh, one point as well. With I try to remember who was in it. Is it Newcastle, Arsenal, and someone else? Liverpool, City. maybe. Could be City. Could be. It could be. Um, I think Liverpool's at the start of May. Right, uh, but it's very similar to last season when there was yes. that week where it was Newcastle, Manchester United, was it? 
and Liverpool yeah. pretty much exactly yeah. the same week. Yeah, and I think a lot will depend on the options available now. If they can get the squad fit and rotation is so key to Postacoglu's uh, removing the injuries and the hamstrings. It's so important to be able to rotate for games. And that was another thing, actually, about the United performance that kind of we've always had this thing over the years um, of when you make a fair few changes or are forced into changes, the level at Spurs has always dropped massively. Whether it's it's not always the quality uh, or the talent, it's more the mentality is slightly different. They don't really understand how to play alongside each other. It was always really kind of clunky and didn't work. And we even saw it early on against Fulham in the Carabao Cup, I thought, at points. But because Postacoglu's system is so clear and it's so ingrained, whoever comes into that team is going to play the way he wants them to play. And I think that, as the season goes on and he has to rotate, will make a huge difference because you shouldn't see such a drop-off. They can go to Old Trafford with that kind of what would be seen as a pedestrian midfield and still dominate. I think they can just do that against anybody. Um, So, yeah, in terms of the title race... I personally think they'll get top three. I think that's um, would be brilliant as well for a first season. Um, and and who knows what happens in the FA Cup? Is it? There's a rather big game to get through first. If they can get through that, I think why not? You know, uh, get a trophy as well. But yeah, my main fear was when he said that was like, oh no, they're going to Old Trafford. What a kind of thing to put over their heads. But actually, the way they dealt with it, like I say. He's just removed, he's extracted the fear from this football club right now. And um, who knows? Hey, if he says it, I'm going to believe him. Why not? Yeah, I mean, I've fought it for a few weeks that they can contest for the title, but you just don't want to say it really. Uh, But no, I mean, if you're that close already to top spot, why on earth would you even discount yourselves from it? And I mean, if considering Arsenal to be in the title race then Spurs have to be as well because ahead of the Manchester United game they're only one point behind uh, so the good thing for Spurs is there's no European football on the agenda for them uh, in what remains of the season the others are going to have packed schedules uh, depending how far they go Spurs are getting the likes of Son, Saar, Madison, Bissouma, Kulisewski, Lacelso back at some point soon so that's only going to boost them. And look how Anja hasn't playing football already. They're just going to go from one level to another between now and May. So why aren't they in the title race? Of course they are. Uh, whether they can win it, I don't know. But I think they can certainly contest for it. Uh, I mean, as you pointed out, that bit of a nightmare week in April. Yeah, but the other teams don't want to face Spurs as well. And Obviously, the Arsenal game will be at home, won't it? City will be at home. Uh, Newcastle away. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think they're banging the mix. I really, really do. And, you know, even if they don't win it and they're finishing the top three, what an incredible season that would be, considering what happened yeah. last year. But also then, that's some springboard for Spurs to go on next season, strengthen even more in the summer, and maybe go on another step or two. Yeah, I think it's just where it's wonders so far in such a short space of time. And I think the future does look extremely bright for the club at the moment. Yeah, no, it's all going well. He has uh, 
I think maybe I've been surprised at how quickly he's managed to imprint this philosophy across everything um, and how much the club have bought into it. That was obviously going to be the crucial thing, um, how much they committed to this guy who, let's be honest, you know, as he said himself, he's kind of coming from a, a background that some have questioned the, you know, um, the status, I guess, of some of his achievements, which obviously is just kind of part of the football snobbery, I guess, that's out there. Um, but they have, they've bought in kind of wholeheartedly to it and everything from, from what's happening behind the scenes, the way the recruitment teams come in and support him, the way they've brought in early January transfers, Summer transfers were pretty early as well with a lot of those that they got done. Um, and just a complete just change in mood and direction at the club. Everyone wants to be a part of it. That's why we're seeing all of these players coming back so quickly from injury. They don't want to miss out. They want to be part of a team that is, even the training sessions, they're fun. They're relentless. They're, they're made to kind of really replicate matches in length and, and the ferocity of them. But they're fun. They're enjoyable. As, you know, I think it was uh, Dayan Kulisewski said the best, you know, we're playing the football kind of we always wanted to as when we were young. and, and But it's just within this very clever kind of tactical system as well. And uh, everyone wants to be a part of it. Like, even in the last month alone, you look at it, Chris Davies turned down a move to be the first, like his first managerial role uh, at Swansea. Um, Timo Werner, you probably wouldn't have thought he'd want to come back to the Premier League, but here he is kind of back in here because he wants to be part of what Spurs are doing. Radu Dragosian turned down Bayern Munich, Champions League, the riches on offer there that he would have got more wages, far more wages, but he turned it down. I was just reading the quotes that have gone out today from him and he was just saying it's such an exciting kind of place to be and he can feel it in the environment. And uh, yeah, it's... Uh, Let's be honest, it's it's fully deserved for all the Spurs fans who have had to put up with the utter rubbish of the last kind of the previous, what, six months to nine months before that. Um, and obviously some issues in the, the previous years as well. So actually be enjoying being a Tottenham Hotspur fan again. That's a big thing. Yeah. So obviously with all these plays set to come back at some point and say if everyone is available, what exactly is Andrew's strongest team? Uh, I mean, for me, it pretty much picks itself. Obviously, Vicario in goal, Porro, uh, Romero, Van der Ven, Doggy, uh, Bentenker put in the number six role, Ooh, James okay. Madison. Yeah. Uh, I would go Pat Matasar, Obeyus yeah. Masuma, uh, and then Kulosevsky, Son with Richarlison through the middle. Okay, okay. You see, this is it was quite interesting. When you said it picks itself, that was the thing I was immediately like, oh, does it? Because I think that was really interesting. I, It's it's very difficult, this as well, because everything's coloured by current form. It's coloured by, uh, I guess, views on players and how they've done this season. So, for example, had we been having this discussion, what, three months ago or so? Yeah. is not coming out of that midfield yeah. in a million years. You know, he is absolutely the the linchpin of that midfield. Um but yeah, Pat Matasar has been brilliant. Oh, do you know what? I preferred the question about Romero with his arms behind his back to this one. This is such a nightmare <laughs> one. Um oh Christ. I think if a lot I'm... of it does pick itself, to be honest. To be honest, when you're going into a Spurs game, you know who's gonna be pretty much starting, don't you? When everyone's fit. I don't, Probably th- I don't only... think so. Really? Not now. I think now you do. 
because of the amount of injuries. But when, in an ideal world, if they had every single player fit and every player at the top of their form, which I know is never going to happen in real life, but all right, I'll do my 11 for now. If every player is flying and on top form and they're all available, I think, yes, it picks itself in terms of the back four and the keeper, yeah. although Radu Dragashin is going to have something to say about that, I think, at some point. Um, I would probably say Madison, Basuma and Bentenker. And that's very difficult because I think Pat Matasar has been such a huge part of what's happened under Postacoglu this season. But I think maybe as the younger player, he's the one that has to kind of fight that a little bit more. I, I don't know. It, it's so difficult. Uh, up front... I think it's difficult. Yeah, I think you would go for the kind of the OGs. I think you would go for um, uh, Son, Richarlison and Kulusevsky. But I do think that Werner and Johnson are going to have yeah, something yeah. to say about that as well. And that's brilliant. That, that it's, it's, it's such an important thing. And this is what I mean. He's going to be able to make changes and... People are going to whinge about it. We're all going to whinge about it. Like, oh, why is that player playing instead of that player? But the level shouldn't drop. Um, yeah, it's it's really it's very exciting. It really is. I think the only one, and this is no slight on Fraser Force, it's not, not meant to be, but more, I think that's the one position, maybe if you lose Vicario, you're a little bit worried about how Fraser Forster deals with the the kind of the demands of being a Postacoglu keeper and and building up the play from the back as quickly as you're meant to. Um, whereas everywhere else on the pitch, probably there's a very decent alternative. Um, you can maybe say Emerson coming in for Poro is a different kind of right back, but Emerson you know, has more than deserved his kind of place this uh uh, in this season because of his exploits for the team in, in every other role. At left back, I'm sure when Ben Davies is fit, uh, he'll be absolutely fine. We kind of haven't really seen him properly as the left back. It was one game he played, but he was carrying an injury. Um, was it Fulham? I don't remember when it was. He just Could didn't quite look yeah. right. I think he came off. Might have even been at half time. <clears throat> I think that was one where Emerson came on. Palace. Uh, and went Christian to the left. Palace, Palace. Yeah. That was it, yes. Um and who knows? You know, Ryan Session's got a little bit of a, uh, well, Poscog used the word a little niggle uh, in terms of he uh, obviously came back from 11 months out and probably just felt, you know, a little bit tight, a little bit stiff after kind of being in a game that he wasn't actually meant to come on, come on in. Um, but, you know, if he can get fit and flying, who knows whether that's another left back option or whether he goes out on loan. Um, yeah, there's suddenly people for every position, and uh, yeah, Postacoglu is going to have a, a task on his hands. I think picking eleven players each week if he's got everyone to pick from. I mean, as strong as that eleven is, bench is going to be incredibly strong as well. Because in the oh. past few weeks, like Old Trafford, there weren't many options on there. I mean, yeah. they had eight subs. Two of those were keepers. Three of them young lads. Uh, but yeah, I just didn't. It bodes well for Spurs going forward once everyone is back and uh, is available. So no, it doesn't bode well for the young players. I'd say that's the only thing I would say is that the academy players are going to ha- probably have to all go yeah. out on loan. Yeah, but in terms of Tottenham as a club as a whole, of course. Yeah, yeah, very much so. 
Uh, right, so no Premier League game this week as there's a winter break uh, going on at the moment. Obviously, this round of Premier League games has been split over two weekends. So what exactly are Spurs doing then, Ali, over the next few days? <laughs> They're not getting their time off quite yet. Um, they were back in straight away on Monday doing the starting 11. We're doing recovery work and everyone else is going through a proper training session. Um, and then they're going to training today and tomorrow. And then they get Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday off um, because some teams, some clubs have decided to go on warm weather uh, training camps. Um, I remember Spurs doing that once. Was it Pochettino went to Barcelona briefly? I feel like I remember. Training um, at the Olympic Stadium, I think. The yeah, yeah. Yeah. That rings a bell. Um, but it hasn't really been something that's been done much at Spurs. And Postacoglu has decided against it. I mean, I can also understand the, the idea of staying at home because you know, you go out and train in somewhere very hot and you come back and playing in these kind of temperatures right now, that's got to be jarring on your body. I can't imagine that is the best preparation in the world. Um, but yeah, he's uh, going to stick around here. So they'll get those four days off. The players, no doubt, will be kind of resting up, taking any respite they can from uh, from the schedule and the training sessions and then back in on Monday. Uh, to prepare for the Friday night game against City, which obviously is quite a, uh, a considerable one. And hopefully, the way Postacoglu was speaking um, on Friday ahead of the game, maybe you get James Madison and Manor Solomon potentially involved for some, if not all, of those games. There's like a little three in a week, isn't there, as soon as they come back. So they've kind of got to enjoy this little bit of rest they get. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's uh, an interesting week. It's It kind of almost feels like a bit of an international break in terms of uh, it's not quite a full... I think Spurs getting a Friday night has slightly ruined the point. Not ruined the point, but has lessened the impact ever so slightly because uh, otherwise he would have been able to give them those four days and they had like a full week to work. But as it is, they've kind of got four days of training ahead of that game. Um and obviously, some of the teams with cup replays, they're like playing like tonight and tomorrow night, aren't they? They've absolutely had it ruined. Um, but hey, take what you can get. And I do think it's come at a good time for Spurs. I think the new players, you know, Dragosin and uh, Werner can can really work in these training sessions to understand the system even more. The likes of Benzema and Romero, Van der Ven, who just come back, have got time to kind of give their bodies a little bit of a rest after the shock of suddenly coming back and then start building them up with the training sessions as well. Um, Kulusevsky can get <laughs> not ill. <laughs> he can recover fully. Um, hopefully, if anyone else does pick up what went through the squad, that should be gone by the time the City game comes. Um, yeah, I do think it's come at quite a good time for Spurs. Yeah, uh, a couple of bits as well on the transfer front, as I'm sure all Tottenham fans will be hoping for more additions between now and 11pm on February the 1st. A couple of names linked. Calvin Phillips, that's, as you reported yesterday, Spurs. It's not one they're looking at, is it, right now? But it's another number six. It's yeah. like, it's one area they don't need someone. And it looked, I mean, the, the suggestions seem to be like a loan deal for people. I saw some some people suggesting a six million pound loan deal and it's just like it yeah from what i understand it's not he's not a player spurs are looking to make a move for at the moment um and if i'm calvin phillips i don't want to go to a club where there's a question mark over whether i play 
you know, go to a club where you're going to play week in, week out to make sure you're in that Euro squad, um, the England team. So, yeah, it, it didn't really make sense to me even before I started digging around to see if there was something to it. Um, yeah, strange one, that. Uh, another name, uh, obviously Spurs have a bit of interest in, Jonathan Rowe, uh, Norwich City, a uh, young lad that he's come through the system, uh, Carrow Road. I think Norwich's final Premier League season a couple of years ago uh, made about 12 appearances. Didn't really feature much last year in the Championship, but this has really been a bit of a breakout season uh, for him uh, in East Anglia, making a big name for himself on the David Wagner, scoring some good goals as well, including one on Friday night away at Hull when the 1-2-1. Uh, I think he's someone a lot of Premier League clubs are going to be looking at in the near future. It's a brilliant goal against Hull. Yeah. It was so good. Um, yeah, very talented 20-year-old. Like you say, kind of had a little bit of a break into the Premier League a couple of years ago with, I think it was, yeah, 13 in all, I think it was, from the bench. And then, yeah, last season kind of seemed to drop back to youth football. Didn't play too much. I don't know whether there was an injury there as well. But this season, yeah, he's just been on fire. Scored in the first five games of the season for Norwich in each in each single game. Um one that Spurs are interested in, but like you say, there's a lot of other clubs looking at him. Whether Spurs do end up making a move or not is another thing. You know, they haven't at this point. There is a part of me that feels like there's that there's a transfer like that coming in the remainder of the window, a buy a young player, potentially loan them back kind of deal. I wouldn't be shocked if we see a kind that kind of move. What position that comes in, you know, maybe even the number eight. If Hoybier is going to stick around, maybe they get a number eight who can um is it Vermeeren, the Belgian player? Um, yeah, I think so. Who, you know, there's been some talk about him. Maybe he's that kind of player. You, you, just these players like a doggy inside that you sign up for, uh, for the future and let them develop a little bit more at their clubs if you don't need them right now. Um, yeah, I, I wouldn't be shocked if there's one of those kind of deals happens before, like you say, February the first comes to an end. Yeah, right. I think that's about it for today's. Uh podcast there's plenty to speak about after all those mm. positives at Old Trafford and I think possibly we may, might be back later in the week for another yeah. episode yeah yeah hopefully not as quite as busy as last week's was when we had to do it a, a oh second yeah episode. yeah yeah <laughs> right so as ever thank you for tuning in and just keep with us at football.london for all your latest Tottenham news Grab our huge discount off your NordVPN plan. Go to nordvpn.com forward slash gold guest. You can receive an extra four months for free and there's no risk with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. The link is in the episode description box.